for Ta, Woman, Success, China, is powered by the Seneca Network. We are bi-weekly podcasts focused on capturing the narratives of women in and from greater China at the top of their professional game. I'm your host, Juliana Batista. Many thanks to the entire team at SUP China, including Kaiser Kuo for co-producing and Jason McRonald for editing. You know, do you like listening to the podcast at SUP China? We'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to fill out our brief survey, which we found in the show description. This week, we're joined by Wu Fei and Abigail Washburn, who recently released a self-titled debut album as a duo. Fei is a composer and world-renowned Wu Jung player, a string instrument often found in Chinese folk music. Abby is a banjo player who has won a Grammy Award for her reinterpretations of traditional Appalachian music. We dive into their creative process and learn about the origins of their friendship and album. Let's have a listen. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ta for Ta, Women's Success China. Today, I am joined by Wu Fei and Abigail Washburn, and I'm really excited to talk about a whole host of things, but I think it would probably be best if we actually started at the beginning of your partnership and friendship. So, you know, I want to know a little bit more about how you two first met and really what was the crossing of paths that... um would lead to this beautiful merging and why we're here to talk today about the beautiful merging of Chinese folk songs and American old-time music that um, blossomed many, many years down the road. Uh, yeah. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Fei. You can call me Wu Fei or Fei. Um, uh, Abby and I, we met in 2006 in Boulder, Colorado. Well, no, uh, like a little bit outside Boulder, Colorado. And uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend who's a, uh, a folk musician um, who was living in Colorado as well. And uh, he knew Abby already. Uh, his name is Nick Forrester. And he um, saw me play. Uh, I had uh, moved to Boulder from Oakland, California for a little bit. And I was playing in town quite a bit, trying to just, you know, find opportunities and uh, to play with people. And uh, so Nick um, in Boulder it was a very small city, so it didn't take very long to uh, to to from Nick to to reach out to me, and uh, and then and therefore we were introduced uh, through emails. That was still like the early email days, huh, Abby? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean nowadays you text or you know FaceTime. I don't know FaceTime. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, there's probably even younger stuff that people are oh. doing that I'm not thinking. absolutely yeah but Faye and I um yeah we met in the old days um and Nick Forster runs a show called E-Town also and he's in two really big bands in the bluegrass scene called Hot Rise and Red Knuckles and um also does his own stuff but yeah he as soon as he heard Faye at this um was it a coffee shop or it was some kind of a, a bookstore, actually. I think a book bookstore. bookstore. Yeah, I remember yeah. recently we were connected with him. He reminded us it was the, I think it was the Trident. It was a a, a bookstore or a slash with a, a coffee place combined. Quite a right. neat place, yeah. And he said, you know, he thought of me right away when he saw her her playing back there and they just knew that we had to be connected and he was just so 
um, he was smitten with her playing and her playfulness and uh, virtuosity and uh, told me about her right away via email. And I think it took quite a while to connect with Faye um, until I actually came to Colorado and I remembered that email. And I think maybe he even reminded me to get in touch with Faye. And, uh, you know, I back at the time, I mean, this was the, you know, early aughts, I was I, deep into going to China every year for long periods of time and playing music and touring. And uh, people would often say to me in the States, oh, I know this Chinese musician you've got to meet, you know, and, <laughs> uh, it, you know, I it, just because they're Chinese and they play music doesn't mean, you know, it's a good fit. So I, right. I'm i a little skeptical, you know, when, when people say that, but I'm open as well. And so knowing Nick, I, I felt that it was probably going to be a really good fit. And as soon as I met Faye, it was like, she just has this playfulness and this sparkle to her and also a, a real intensity and passion and uh, excitement for life and um, a fire, you know, and I uh, just that chemistry immediately was like, oh, wow, this is a neat lady, you know, and I wanted to know her more and hang out with her more. And so we, we exchanged emails. She played with us that night, the Sparrow Quartet, a band um, I had back then that toured Tibet and all over China a couple of times uh, with Bela Fleck, my husband now and nowadays, and um, uh, Ben Soli and Casey Dreesen. And she, she sat in and we played um, uh, a, few songs. a Chinese yeah. song. Yeah. And, and uh, it was, it was just a blast. And so we stayed in touch, as she said, by email. Right. And um, we just kept writing each other about things that were happening in our lives, you know, moving and, um, uh, you know, Faye uh, broke up from a big relationship and met, you know, her her now husband. Oh, watch out! He may be listening. Yeah. <laughs> oh, should we not talk no, about no, that? No, 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 it's okay. No, it's okay. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and I ended up getting married, and we both started having babies at the same time, and you know, trying to balance that life of motherhood and um music and a professional music career and um it's it's no easy task and so we've and i think really enjoyed um being able to merge our paths in a much deeper way as a result of our life paths finding a parallel um in family and uh that's been a that's been a huge deal for both of us i mm -hmm. think mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Uh, Faye, you know, Abigail gave this wonderful epithet. I'm curious what your first impression of Abigail was. And also, you know, just doing some of my research, you were a solo artist, um, you know, prior to this partnership, this teaming up. And, you know, did you, were you looking for a collaborator at the time? You know, kind of, you know, where, where were you in that, that headspace? Um, I was, I remember the first time when I met Abby, uh, after our introduction from uh, Nick. So uh, I was already fascinated by what Abby was doing. And uh, when I met her, and uh, especially with uh, the quartet uh, she was touring with, and I heard uh, the, uh, Abby sang quite a few uh, Chinese folk songs, actually, at the time, at least two or three, possibly. Uh, and I, uh, that was the first time actually hearing um, an American artist who actually uh, not only uh, was, able to, was able to sing Chinese folk songs that I grew up uh, mm. hearing, but also with, with really love and passion. And uh, they even rearranged some of the rhythmic section that um, in, a, in a really interesting way, rather than just, you know, keeping the same beats. Uh, so I was very uh, impressed and uh, I just, and there are lots of strings, you know, I'm a string player. I just love other strings. Um, and that maybe is also part of it in, in my blood that, uh, um, and, um, so I, 
at the time, I actually I was I was just put into this big, uh, kind of big uh, uh, curiosity about making music was was like uh, with others. Because I had been a solo artist in, mm-hmm. in my even like a solo player mm-hmm. or a composer or a, a, a just by myself. My well, I was you know in choir, but uh, to make music with others uh, was most likely uh, was never part of my my music life, my music love bringing. It was as a composer, you know, I came up with a score and then I give the players and they play it, and that's how I. Uh, was trained to create music. It was, uh, you know, until I came to the States, it was back in China was never uh, someone else contributing an idea into weaving into something else. Uh, so mm. that, uh, I mean, it, it's also different than, um, you know, in the jazz sense that you, you know, just improvise on the spot. Uh, it's, it's a different process as well. It's a little bit um, with more structured, and because it's a song form as well, it's not just you, know, you go free, you know, it just whatever there's could doesn't have to have melody or doesn't have the rhythm. So at the time, um, um, I wasn't, I don't know if I was looking for a particular collaborator, but I was looking for something that I hadn't um, learned before. That was a one um, big drive. That also has always been a drive, I think, for my career. That I, I, I learning is makes me feel really happy. So at that time, I felt I need to learn this tradition of music making from American culture. So that was yeah. You know, I I didn't anticipate fa- playing with Faye. Um, I anticipated a friendship more than anything. I th- especially, you know, the more and more I learned about Faye and her work um, as a composer, as a you know improvisational artist and um, listen to her, you know, first solo records. Uh, I, I didn't think it was an obvious fit for her and I to play together necessarily. Uh, But I was excited about her as an artist and learning about her as well. And the newness that she was bringing to a tradition that I'd learned about in China uh, that usually is much more um, codified. And uh, she's just so much more playful with it than I'd ever been used to seeing uh, artists in China do uh, really breaking free from a, um, a real a fairly limited perspective on what a musician is supposed to do, to be. So I was excited about Faye, and I was excited to see her do her thing as a woman and uh, in music, and also just as a musician in general. So I was excited about Faye, but I didn't know that we would get to play together someday. Um, but that yeah, really that, evolved yeah. very organically. Yeah, and really around a, a, a common love for folk music and learning from one another and storytelling. We love to tell each other stories uh, in general, just about everything, but about the music we love from from our countries. Yeah, and I definitely want to dive a bit more into that. And I think it's interesting too, Abby, that you say the music from our countries, but I also understand that you both have mutual understanding and appreciation um, specifically for Chinese folk music. And I I would love actually if you both could tell a little bit more about kind of your origin stories, like your, you know, first understandings and and interactions um, with Chinese folk music. And then also kind of how that has also impacted your understanding of, um, you know, old time American music, you know, which one came first for you? 
what was those initial interactions um, with both types of music? Um, you know, whoever would like to to go first. For listeners that are probably not aware that we're recording this remotely because you both finish each other's sentences. <laughs> uh, if I'm if I'm asking one or the other to to speak first, it's because we actually all aren't in the same room right now. Uh, Abby, you want to go first? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so for me, China came first <laughs> before American folk music. I mean, okay, that's yes, what I thought. Uh, yes, and I, <laughs> I I grew up with um, the radio. So that in um, the D.C. area, uh, Metro D.C., uh, Gaithersburg, Maryland, and then we moved to Minnesota for my high school times. And uh, my mom loved John Denver, and she would sometimes play Peter, Paul, and Mary. So that's as close as I got to uh, an experience of a, a folk mm. music. And I really loved Whitney Houston and Run DMC and Salt and Peppa. I'm dating myself here, major, but that was my my you know my my phase, my time, my my peer group were listening to that kind of stuff. Uh, and so it really wasn't until I got to um, college and going to China that uh, two things emerged. One was I fell really deep into my studies of Chinese. And my second time to China on a cultural exchange, I went to Chengdu to Sichuan, um, uh, to Chuanda. And um, mm. Lianghe Dashue. At the time, it was Kuji Dashue, which was the science um science technology school, but now it's, mm -hmm. it's the United Sichuan University. And I was living in the foreign students dorm there. And, um, I met a woman just outside the front steps, a, an old lady with kind of cataract eyes and very short bobbed white hair and wearing her, her Mao jacket. And this was, you know, mid nineties. Um, and she just was really friendly to me after an interaction where I picked up her handkerchief and gave it to her. And she spoke perfect British English. And she invited me over to her and her husband's flat for dumplings. And it ended up they were both retired teachers and she had taught English her whole life. And she asked me if I would like her to teach her me some Chinese. And I, I said readily yes, partly because I um, just thought she was the sweetest thing I'd ever met. And, and also because I was hoping she would keep feeding me dumplings, which she did. And I actually gained 25 pounds uh, over that time. And I would visit with her three days a week. And the way she taught me Chinese, this was outside of my regular classes. The, uh, the way she taught me Chinese was to read me old poems and sing me songs, folk songs. And uh, I fell so deeply in love with her and that little room and the smell of jasmine tea that she would bring me and that picture of um, uh, the bodhisattva behind her head, Guan Yin. And I just, I just fell so in love with the whole thing that, that, um, feeling of, of folk music being this way of channeling, uh, not just language learning, but the, a deep cultural understanding and empathy was, uh, a really profound moment for me. The other thing was I was dating a guy in college who was playing bluegrass music. And so I started to learn all about bluegrass music and I started selling merch at their shows. Every once in a while, I'd sing back up on some stuff just for fun because that's what you do in bluegrass music. It's not a an old time and, and folk music. It's not necessarily a drive for perfection. It's it's about community and togetherness and jamming and being, uh, being together through music. Mm. So uh, all of that's really started happening at the same time. And while I was in China learning this so much about this beautiful ancient culture, it started, it, it planted a seed in me a des that grew into this immense desire to understand what was ancient and special about the culture I came from. 
and that's that's when I opened my eyes to this old these old folk traditions in America that are really derived from the native people in America, from Africa, from Scotland, from Ireland, at least the part of the country I'm in. Um, and, and that mixing of those cultures on the East Coast is really what created created this old time American folk music that I'm involved in from the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, and that so it was that begging of the question of what is it? China is so ancient and rich in culturally. What what is there in America that could compare in any way whatsoever? And that's that's what opened my eyes to the banjo and to the beautiful tradition of of music in this this part of the country. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, so I'm in in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. If you go to other parts of the country, there's much, many other influences like you know Tex-Mex. Um, uh, French Canadian, uh, colonial French down in Louisiana. And it, so, you know, it depends where you are, but this is the tradition that I'm closest to and, and geographically where I live. That's and beautiful. there's, there's the question, yeah. there's such a yeah. question being begged also, what is the influence of Chinese American music on, mm. on American folk music and, and American folk music history, which is a, I, it, I have had a very hard time finding that. We have hundreds and hundreds of folk songs recorded from um, African-American, Irish-American, Scottish-American traditions building the, the railroads all the way from the East Coast to, um, you know, to the to the point, prom, promontory point in Utah where it met up with the West, the, the trains from the West, were, which were entirely built by Chinese people. Do we have any of their songs? We don't know. Were they singing songs? I mean, this is something Faye and I both have looked into, and we're we're trying we're try, we're going to try to keep trying to uncover some things like this because there certainly has been a major contribution by Chinese people, and there's been a huge racism in the preference of what to catalog and make historical fact. Faye, what about you? Well, my actually upbringing, I I didn't choose music. <laughs> my uh, music career was decided by my parents and uh, their music professor friends uh, when I was uh, literally a toddler. So uh, uh, I, um, but now I look back, uh, I was surrounded by Chinese folk music, but at the time I didn't know it was folk music. It just a lot of, um, cause my, in my household, both my parents, I mean, Chinese people just love singing, you know, karaoke is huge there. They're just the culture, like people love singing at home or on the bike or, you know, in the construction site. Um, so there was just a lot of singing in my house. And, uh, um, and there was, a, that China was also, um, I, I was born in 1977. Um, so there, there was a period that in my childhood, there was no TV um, at all. And then there was radio uh, started to come. Uh, so it was a very limited uh, kind of a, a source to hear things um until tv basically tv came along even you know radio wasn't so much but the tv really broadened my um uh, my views on uh like you know there's chinese operas uh the chinese folk songs but got revolutionized uh by the, the chinese government at that time i didn't know i just thought it was folk songs but the lyrics were kind of you know propaganda uh ish sort of songs uh however the melodies were folk melodies uh passed on for probably hundreds of years and uh and i 
that's my um, childhood. I I was just fascinated by uh, the, those songs and then, you know, Dong Fang Hong, the East is Red, that entire um, ballet and the music theater play it was being played over and over and uh, uh, opera uh, opera musicals as well um, and um, a lot of I would say world music and from a Chinese perspective of world music is nothing uh, anything that's not Chinese music <laughs> back then it was world music mm. you know including uh, John Denver was world music to us um, <laughs> yeah yeah seriously it was like that was world music to us yeah american michael jackson was world music to us uh and uh so uh so i, I also in china you know, there was like because american music didn't get into china until probably late like late 80s so before that there was a lot of um even uh, like in the south uh, uh like music from the philippine filipino music uh, uh, Sri Lanka music, African music, uh, from Japan, from Brazil, uh, Italy, Russia, almost like dominated uh, the TVs uh, and music um, until late 80s and early 90s when American culture just slammed in. Um, then, then that's kind of all the other types were kind of gone. <laughs> and uh, so that was definitely Chinese. Um, and then I was studying traditional music uh, and Western classical music at the same time. So to me, now I realize there was both the academic and the cultural, social influence, uh, the music from both environments. Um, my life was filled with that. Um, but for American mm-hmm. music, it, uh, it was more pop because it was, you know, I was a kid and there was, uh, already very limited um, resource of listening to uh, any non-Chinese folk music. We just didn't even know what folk music from other countries were. Uh, and uh, so American music was really Michael Jackson, Madonna to me. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, there was like American music and, uh, and Jimi Hendrix and then eventually, and then John Denver was huge, of course. And, uh, but the moment when I uh, realized that I, um, I also, um, the moment I fell in love with uh, American folk music was when I was living in Colorado, Boulder. Uh, I, uh, uh, folk music, bluegrass is huge in Colorado. And um, so I just started mm-hmm. checking out all these really amazing pickers when they have shows. And one of them was uh, Doc Watson's show in Boulder. Um, he was already probably 81 or 82. He was really old, this blind man. Uh, that was the first time that I felt, uh, I started to cry. I don't know why. I, I, I could only afford the tickets in the back. I was like, oh, I was crying. Uh, and, and, you know, and also coming from a conservatory background, Music just rarely made me cry. Uh, now it, it does, but back then I was still in my twenties. You know, I was like a little young kind of female buck that I just busting my head. You know, like a, you know, doing the trying to impress others, writing all this flashy notes. You know, so my 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 world view was just filled with very too many notes. I would say <laughs> too many notes, and then mm. and then the moment when I heard something so so earthy and so simple that but I, I couldn't control myself. I was just like tears are coming down. I was like, what is happening to me? And then that was the moment I realized I had a like instant um, 
uh, enlightenment almost um, then I knew that that sound and I, I, I need to in order to help myself to um, have a, a, a forward leap forward into uh, and be told to be in another at a different level another level of art artistry that is where I wanted to go so that's um, that's the moment that was probably 2005. Something like that, 2004, 2005. Can I add right now that um, that's something that Faye and I share is this special enlightenment moment when we heard Doc Watson, because um, I didn't want to go on too long. But when I was in college, yeah, I, I had a boyfriend, Bo, who, who played bluegrass and that had an impact on me. But it wasn't until I was at a party one night and somebody put on an LP of Doc Watson singing and playing. And Shady Grove was the first song that I really tuned into on the record. And he was singing Shady Grove. And it just had this high, lonesome blues. You couldn't tell if he was like black or white, uh, if he was old or young. or uh, it, it had the ancient, the ancient tones in it. And I, that was when I really discovered, okay, here it is. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that can actually claim ancient glorious civilization and beauty in America. This is the thing I'm hearing. And that's when I went out and I bought a banjo and discovered that it was really this old time American Appalachian music that I wanted to play. So Faye and I share this Doc Watson moment that's pretty significant. We really didn't realize that until last year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so helpful, I think, understanding a bit more about like the origins and kind of also how you came together. And from, you know, there's a great press kit from the Smithsonian and your very recently released uh, self-titled uh, album, which I had the pleasure of listening to this past week in prep for this episode. Um, there, there's a really, there's this really interesting line in there that I, I kind of want to pull out and, you know, extrapolate a bit more with the two. And I think you're hinting at it even yourselves um, as we start to, to talk about your experiences, but it says, it's not simply the merging of two languages, but rather a digging at their shared roots. And I think when you talk about even this shared experience of um, really getting to know bluegrass music um, at a really deep level, that you almost started un- unpacking and peeling back these layers of actually so a lot of shared experiences. Um, that was my interpretation of, of what they were getting at, but I'm curious what your interpretation was. There's a lot of shared, I would say like, uh, um, as friends and as humans, as women, as women in the performing arts and as mothers, there's a lot of kind of almost maybe non-musical experiences that uh, we have gained much more um, understanding about each other. Uh, than just, uh, you know, on the surface, mm-hmm. like, uh, oh, what musicians do. So, um, like, both Abby and I have collaborated with many different um, musicians and uh, in different art uh, disciplinaries, like, uh, you know, modern dance and film and, uh, uh, you know, you just, like, name it. It's not just, uh, okay, let's just record an album. There's many other things that also, you know, need music, so, like, commercials and stuff. Um, and especially the the... Um, bridging different cultures uh, together, this type of um, um, art forms and, and uh, way of making music together has been around for a while. And then from our both our careers, I've, we've done 
collaborations with many different artists from different culture backgrounds. Um, it doesn't happen. I mean, the depth of having a, a true connection doesn't come so easily. Uh, not just, okay, you are two uh, master players and then you can come up with something. Yeah, you can come up with something really amazing and flashy or, you know, with your, what you know on how fast you move on your fingers. But, uh, and then the, the collaboration often comes on, like you get to meet the musicians because, you know, you have this event or gig or some, you know, concert that you invite each other, you, you knew that was happening maybe a few days or a few weeks before and then you meet maybe a few hours before the show you know that happens a lot and then you, you, uh, you know yeah. you know you get on the stage or like all right uh let's do this and then you 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 play something you know i play something i know but the two of us are kind of just strangers and then and then you got off stage and then you bow and then that's it you don't even see each other anymore and that happens in the majority of the music collaborations, I have to say. So, of course, uh-huh. you don't, I mean, you hear this also, you know, beautiful sounds, but the chemistry, even probably from the audience, I mean, certainly from the artists, we just kind of, at least from me, when I have to be put in that situation, I just like, all right, so well, let's pull out all our tricks now <laughs> because there's really not much else. So I, we know each other to, to you know, go into the depth. Um, and there's not enough time. And then there's all these kind of, uh, you know, commercialism. You just got to meet uh, two hours before and then boom, to do the thing. And then bye-bye and never see each other again. Um, so that's, um, I think, the shared roots. It's um, It doesn't come so easily just uh, on the surface, you know, on a poster, on a, you know, website. Uh, it's, it's a lot of um, time spending together and uh, knowing each other. As, as just as a, you know, friends, really, I think. I think that's right. I think there's the friendship aspect that you explained really well and um, and the going far beyond the usual uh, collabor- collaboration, which is a pretty sa- sh- sort of shallow, wide dive into the water to share something with an audience quickly and then and then done. Um, but for Faye and I, this is a, a lot, this is over a decade of of friendship and knowing one another, giving each other space, getting very intimate, um, you know, ups and downs, a, sen- a real sense of sisterhood uh, and everything that that intimacy brings with it, you know. And um, yeah, it's a sharing of families and a sharing of our lives. And, I, you know, I also want to speak to the, the the fact that I think we both feel, especially Faye now that she lives in the U.S. and is raising her children here, but also myself, especially in my young adulthood, I laid a lot of roots in China and um, a lot of seeds, I should say, and grew a lot of, a lot of myself grew up in China over the 15 years that I was going there studying and touring before I had children. And um, for, certainly for Faye too, I, I, I feel I can almost speak for you in this regard that you were, you've spent a lot of your time and your life in America and so there's this sense of shared roots across cultures for both of us that allows us to communicate about a lot of things in um, an extremely efficient ma- manner without having to explain a whole lot to each other. I mean, sure, sure, there's a lot to explain, but we can dive right into like the heart of a story without having to say too much about why this myth makes sense or why this weird story from Western China is different from the weird story from Southeast China or why the mountains, the Rocky mountains are different from the Appalachian mountains and the cultures there, you know? So that, that's just stuff we, 
we already know it's like under underlying knowledge. And so we can go into the more nuanced and uh, the more nuanced places together quickly. So I think that that leads to this question. I've become deeply fascinated, I think, with the creative process. Um, And I just kind of want to learn a bit more from you guys about, you know, what what was the development process like? I don't know if it's taking one of one of the specific tracks on the album and and talking through that or just talking more broadly, if you think that there were some patterns that emerged. But, you know, where did you start? Did you start with a melody? Did you start with uh, a certain lyric? Did you take things and look at a much broader perspective? You know, how did you how did you develop? How did you produce? How did you put things together? Um, I would say let's use uh, "Water Is Wide" and uh, "Usuli Boat" song. Um, uh, we started. Uh, we were, you know, first-time mothers, so we were s- just hanging out at Abby's porch one day, um, just kind of feeling so exhausted, and then asking each other, "What do you sing to your baby to put her put him to bed?" Um, you know, lullabies. So, uh, and Abby started singing. And she already knew, I mean, of course, the knowledge of knowing many songs is a, you know, foundation to start with. Uh, and uh, so she started singing uh, Water is Wide. And then, and then immediately, and this is, is this water. And they immediately made me remember Wu uh, Suli Bo song, Wu Suli Chuan Ge. And uh, I was like, oh, let's, let's give it a try. Because water, I mean, the thing is, is we realized later that, um, Picking two songs from each culture, from picking a song from each culture, is uh, it doesn't always work when you just think of um, the technological term uh, in terms of oh what key and what what rhythm or or scale. Um, it doesn't work that way. And then we realize for folk songs, you know what really the the um, magic is. Um, folk songs are are life life songs like people sing about their lives what they're doing like worker song boat worker song is different from mountain people mm-hmm. who live in the mountains and they people who live in the Appalachian mountains versus people who live in the app uh, in the Himalayan mountains they both have because communication they have to sing long pitch and ha- like a haul out their sound to tell the other buddies on the other side of the mountain where they are. That's how they communicated. That's what mountain people do. And so, and then, so we start picking, oh, so, you know, if it's a worker song, they sing songs to boost up energy to help them go through the uh, labor, the work. And then we picked out, you know, work songs from uh, America and the work songs from the Yellow River bo- uh, boat workers. And then they just magically just fit because and it, it may not fit every note, you know, not like every note on the sense of every note, but the sentiment is completely there because they were struggling, they were trying to, you know, do the rhythmic pounding thing, you know, they got a, and, and then the, the rhythmic, there's how we would interpret it, the mm-hmm. rhythm might be slightly different, but the the motive, the motivation is to go through work, and then the percussive sound is. So and then if it's a lullaby, if it's mothers from all over different cultures and world try to sing, calm their babies, and that will always work somehow because that's that's what you that's the the sentiment of the songs. And or if you want to, you know, you know, sing 
you know, uh, towards your like cow herders, you know, cow herders from Austria probably can sound very similar to cow herders on the grassland of Mongolia because they've got to make their cows and, and sheep to run together. <laughs> it's uh, So you think that way, it's, um, then it becomes um, very natural to find those songs to um, work mm. together. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I have too much to add there. I think that's that's it. The folk. The folk process. It's just. I, I think um, with any collaboration, the challenge is having the will, accepting each other's limitations, pushing each other where you can, and having a basic passion for similar things that unite you enough to drive you forward together. And um, I don't think there's any folk music in the world that couldn't work with another folk music. It's just the the human, the humans doing it that need to work together. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I guess I want to build on that a bit because, you know, did you have all of the the songs that you adapted like known in advance or did you find inspiration? Do you have to kind of go hunting and digging, um, you know, for the right, the right song to match with um, another song or was there some, you know, black holes in your knowledge? For example, when we talk about, you know, Chinese folk songs that it's very far reaching depending on what geographic region that you're in and the same thing um, within the American geographic region, you know, when you were looking for inspiration, how'd you go about, you know, uncovering what you needed and even knowing what you were looking to find in terms of pieces that you wanted to adapt? Uh, what do you think, Abby? I, I feel like we we just knew we, we knew the songs before we knew each other. <laughs> okay, yeah. that was kind of my question. Yeah, there. yeah. I think going forward, Faye and I might, you know, I think we'll both of us, I think, really enjoy digging up folk songs and remembering the folk songs that have been a part of uh, our careers, our childhoods. Our, um, I, I, there was a time in my early in my music where I was in a band called Uncle Earl, and I was I was just really starting to dig into this tradition of Appalachian folk music and uh, music from the Delta and the region that I'm living in, and that. At that time, I, w- I, I did a lot of research. I just, I listened and I listened and I listened. I, w- I even went to the Smithsonian Library in D.C. and stayed for a week and listened and listened and listened to all kinds of things and bought the big collections of Alan Lomax recordings and, and things like the Harry Smith anthology, um, Times 8 Month that used to be anthology. I just went as deep as I could with what I had access to and what I knew about. And so th- I brought that with me. Uh, to sitting with Faye on the porch. All of that was in the bank. And so as Faye and I started talking about themes of different kinds of songs, they were you know, pretty much right there. Maybe I had to go looking for the lyrics, but uh, the, the tune, the melody, the person who sang it, the time, the period of time it was a part of why they were singing it, all of that was, was, was there waiting to be harvested with Faye. Yeah, from my experience is that I, um, I've been... Because I I started um, going to music conservatory when I was re- very young, and for the composition department, um, 
even I think I started from I was 15. As a composition major student, uh, one of our major class classes was uh, uh, tra- learning traditional Chinese music, history, literature, and uh, folk music and operas. So every um, semester was study one aspect from one professor who's the expert in that. And then we had to memorize all the repertoire uh, and then pass exams. So um, so that started from when I was 15. And then for like six years, every semester, you have to pass exam. Like you, eventually you have to memorize so many pieces and songs. And uh, so you walk into the, the, the classroom um, for exam, um, there's a jar in the, in the middle of the table then it's with little notes. There are probably about 300 notes that has the song's names written on the note. So you, as a student, you've got to pass as you walk in and then you with uh, draw, take one note, uh, take one piece of paper out of the jar and then just see the title and then you sing the song right there. And then you have to do three. So you have to know already 300 in order to pass, to pick three to pass. And that happened every semester. Um, so that uh, back then, you know, as a student, so we, we really kind of hated that kind of process. But now I feel like, oh, gosh, wow, thank goodness I learned that many. And uh, so it's just been sitting in the back of uh, uh, our head. So uh, just spending years, like almost entire life to know those those tunes. Uh, so when when they're needed, their boom is somewhere. And then maybe Abby is singing American song and that just like, oh, triggered some kind of memory out. And then that another song from from Gansu province, boom, it just jumped out of my head. Yeah. So that really how it happened. And then over the 10 years, uh, even through our friendship, I was just thinking about this, Abby, um, when you were talking earlier, is that um, music also has changed so much in, the, in terms of music record business or genre or everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, streaming has changed so much. And um, so we had we didn't rush into to do something uh, and rather than just uh, chilling out and then, you know, just nurtured the, the songs we loved and now uh it's just um i guess it's unique because we didn't rush into something just to fall in follow a trend or something yeah yeah I, you know the other thing i wanted to share was that Faye, i probably never would have recorded the water is wide on my own um that's that's a song that's been done. I mean, it's done. It's It's been done so well, so many times in English by so many people. And the only reason it took on this whole new life, which is part of what's exciting about you and I working together and having our collaboration is that songs that feel almost dried up, even though like they might make me cry when the right person sings, I'm like Moore O'Connell singing Water is Wide. Um, they, they become new again. They become full of this possibility of creating new uh, new mate- they become new material in the hands of our collaboration. And that's, absolutely. that's absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about the Usuli Bo song. When I hear it, just, you know, the old version from a Chinese, you know, tenor singing, because like it's supposed to be sung by a tenor. And uh, I was like, oh gosh, no, not that way again. <laughs> <laughs> Let me change up a little bit. <laughs> so here's a new life. And oh, and then, you know, it's a, every time we sing and it brings, tears down from from the audience and the, i wish i never saw that in china when i heard that song being sung by you know high-pitched tenors yeah 
that makes me laugh because it's really supposed to be sung by mothers, you know, rocking their babies or, you know, anyway, that's right. funny. That's very funny. You know, a highly trained <laughs> male tenor singer, you know. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I just love the way that you both recount and just, and have such, it's, it's really incredible to listen to the two of you speak. It's like, it it really does sometimes feel like a single stream of of consciousness consciousness coming from you too, and I also think uh, you know that music can be so expressive, and you can learn so much from the people around you based on the way that they play music and the way that they express themselves. I am no longer a musician by profession, but have had the pleasure of of learning a musical instrument in the past, and that's something that I found from my own personal experiences, and so. I guess kind of in that same vein, I want to ask you, you know, this whole album has been described as a 10-year voyage of seeking freedom. And, you know, is there things that you learned along the way about yourself and about your collaborator that you're willing to share that is particularly resonant with you that, you know, maybe you're mulling on it now that the the album is out there for people to listen to? I don't know. <laughs> you just gotten older. <laughs> yeah, it just you know. I mean, we. I mean, over the ten years, we're seeking for free. It just becoming more grounded uh, about, you know, wiser about our lives mm-hmm. um, now than you know, two thousand six when we met. You know, it's a uh, just like ch- the world has changed so much too, and I mean, it's you know we've you know, have the ups and downs too, even as friends, but that's really so normal. You know, it's like, it happens, you know, your own relationship with your own partner, with your own parents, your sibling or children is all, um, but just uh, completely, you know, uh, embracing that. Um, so feeling closer to, to some kind of truth, truth to your, about yourself, like self-realization, and 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 feeling really much more okay about life and uh, and to fully appreciating what you've created and have that perspective looking forward about life i think that's really profound of course the music is so beautiful but for self development um i've felt um that way that um it just there's a lot more beauty really brings in clarity sometimes I mean, at least for me, not confusion. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, life is some weird combination of um, receiving and dealing and actually creating your reality. And I think as I get older and older, that balance, I just get more and more comfortable with it and less and less angsty about it. Uh, I have had some deep, you know, sadnesses, some things that some grief that I never could have anticipated in my, you know, in my twenties. <laughs> and right, I, there's right. something beautiful about that, that tames, tames a soul into a place of receiving, receiving wisdom and a sense of the universal experience of the human spirit. That's, um, uh, just rich, very rich. And, uh, I think Faye and I both have been through a lot of things now where that's, and who knows what's coming up next and <laughs> Lord almighty. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I, and I think just the fact that we share a similar age and a similar in- intensity, although it embodies itself in really different ways, um, we uh, 
uh, yeah, we just, we're, we're growing up together. Yeah. yeah. And, and now we're all in COVID-19. It's another, uh, you know, oh, wow, experiencing something such a, um, such a dramatic and can be traumatizing all, you know, so new. And I'm sure we're all, um, our, our emotions and our, um, our thoughts and our lives are being tested again. Um, in a, in a, you know, everyone is in, in the boat now. Um, so it's, um, um, it's really, I, when I think about seeking freedom, it's, it's about dropping burdens. Um, that you just carry less burdens in your heart. How do you do that? And that's a, a sense of feeling free instead of the thing that you can get is actually the thing you can drop. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> yeah, dare, dare I ask what's next? Well, right now we're just kind of living day by day now. Women are, we are uh, promotional tours were canceled or postponed. We're just the very next, I think we're hoping uh, to really, uh, we can perform the songs in, in the same room to our audience again. Really, that's right. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. like, oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, you know, I do keep trying to see the, um, the positive in all this. And one piece of it really might be that uh, the music that we recorded, having time to uh be out there and have people hear it and share it um it will hopefully create um a sense of community that we can bounce into out of out of this um time of seclusion and into a time of sharing again uh experiences in person that perhaps there's going to be a kind of community building around this music that we're sharing and um we'll find it when we get out there uh, so that would be an exciting piece of it and already just, you know, even with you, you know, doing this, uh, um, having us on your show, you know, I mean, there's probably a few people who will discover what we're doing and really it will resonate with them and they'll want to be a part of this journey with us and, um, uh, mm -hmm. and we'll come to their town and they wouldn't have known that before. And, you know, when we were right when it was released, so now they will. And it would be really exciting to, to share that with, with new, new friends, you know, new journey. Yes. Yeah. And so. I, I think one thing I, I want to ask you both that I ask of everyone that comes on the the show, and it's really a question I kind of like to end things on, is, you know, what's one piece of advice that someone's given you in the past that you've actually found yourself giving to someone else recently? And I guess we can also, I, I've gotten infusions of the fact that you've both, um, you know, you talk about your professional life and you talk about motherhood. And so if, you know, there's something related to that as well, I'd be, I'd be really curious to hear. There's one um, professor that I, oh, I just feel so dear to me. He's been a mentor. Uh, his name is Fred Frith. And uh, this advice, um, when I started my solo career, um, and actually was, I started in Europe, um, not in, in America. Um, he, he, Fred is, is a UK, he's from the UK. And the, so I was seeking advice from him, um, whether how to move on to the next thing, you know, cause there's invitations coming in. And then sometimes as an, you know, young artist, you just don't know, 
there's like 50,000 rows ahead of you, like you can only choose one or maybe more than two. How do I do that down the road? And if I, you know, this is my life, like, um, and he said, and choose the one that you truly feel you can learn something from. And that, and so that advice, I have still to this day, that I still, it, it's, it's so amazing. That's really has led to the most satisfying um, collaboration that I've had is truly mm. learn something, find something, if something, the invitation comes or some, you know, kind of a destiny is, is appearing in your life is something that you truly feel you have learned, you can learn something from. And, and that, um, that's the advice that I, I will also like to um, share with your listeners. <laughs> I know, I know you've said that before, but it, um, it just is, uh, Yeah. Uh, it's it's such a good guiding principle, and I you know I feel kind of chuffed that I'm one of the people. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because um, it's just you know learning is really the best. Because you know when the world whole world comes down, you know you may lose everything, but the things in your head and your heart, no one can take it away. Right? It's the more you have, the richer you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, for me, the thing that keeps coming back to me is um, that I keep sharing with myself, but also with my, my my son, Juno, who's getting older now. He's six years old, almost seven. And that um, I've shared with especially women at um, when I've had special moments with groups of women at camps or music camps or um, gatherings uh, is the idea of having your Jedi powers always intact and I'm you know Star Wars man that's that's where it came from and Yoda and just the idea that you can take any situation and turn it into something beneficial so that could range from a really crappy gig where only four people showed up to um uh, having to deal with some misogynistic sound guy who's just being outrageously, ridiculously sexist and rude to, um, <laughs> you, you know, like to, um, you know, being in a, in a room recording with Faye or with Yo-Yo Ma or with the Silk Road Ensemble or finding yourself suddenly having an opportunity to jump on a stage and play with one of your heroes that you never thought you'd get to play with. And what do you do in that moment when you're scared and you're not sure what you're going to do or, um, so I feel like all those situations require the same sense of being able to take any situation and turn it into something beneficial. Like, and a lot of times for me, that has to do with humor and strength and um, just going for it with all the skill and chutzpah I can possibly muster. So yeah, I would say Jedi powers and finding the force in every situation. Yeah. I really like both of those pieces of advice. And I also just, I feel like this has been a really special interview. I really love the way that both of you talk about your craft and about the stories, not only yours, but how much you bring to light the the stories of others. And we talk about, you know, who who are the folk. And I think through, through your music and through the way of recreating and reimagining, um, you know, what has been around for, you know, whether it's China for civilization or for America, a little bit less so, but still a really long time. Um, 
it's really fascinating to kind of peel back behind, you know, why you've created what you've created and, you know, where you're looking forward to in the future. So this has been really special. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, it's I, we, I feel like it's always enlightening and really revelatory when um, Faye and I get to be with someone like you who really listens and really cares about what we're saying and really asks penetrating questions. So thank you for that. And that's it. We love all the comments we've recently been getting in response to the episodes we've been putting out there. Please hit us up at ta for ta on Twitter or shoot us an email at ta.for.ta.china at gmail.com. Ta for Ta, Women's Success China, is a proud member of the Seneca Network. Thanks again to Kaiser and Jason for production and editing of the episode you listened to today. Until next time, I'm Juliana, and this is Ta for Ta.